so that it builds itself up in love. David. Good evening and thank you all for coming out this evening and good evening to those who are joining us on Zoom. It's been a very, very strange year, hasn't it? A year ago, if you had said to me, Zoom, I'd immediately associate it with a superhero in a comic book. That's all I would have understood Zoom to be. Or if you'd said to me, Spotify, I'd have thought it was an acne treatment or something to do with pimples. Or even worse, if you'd come up to me and said, what's up? I would have thought you were talking to me and asking me how I was, an Ulster dialect. And yet all of those words today are a part of our vocabulary, and it's what we use as a church to communicate and to link with one another. Zoom, Spotify, WhatsApp, whatever it might be. It's been a very, very strange year. Who would ever have thought that we would have been meeting here and I'm looking down and I see faces and everybody's wearing a mask and the building's half empty and there's probably 50 people joining us on a, on a Zoom call? Who would have understood that as I came in through the door there, I'd have been greeted with an elbow bump? What's an elbow bump, you would have asked. It's been a strange year. And as a congregation, it has been an extremely strange year. As a group of Christians meeting here in this building, it has been a very, very difficult year. And it shouldn't be underestimated how difficult it has been for some of our congregation. Some people have come through the pandemic relatively unaffected. And sometimes some people have even said to me, it's almost been a break. And at the other extreme, we have people who have come through this pandemic and they have been terribly affected. Grief. They have been infected with illness, unemployment. And there's this massive, pan massive gap between the two where, where we can't meet families and, and it's been extremely difficult. We should never underestimate that. But what we are hopefully emerging into now is a return to some form of normality. And what I want to do this evening in about five, ten minutes is just talk through very, very briefly what the church should look like. And then based on that definition of what the church should look like, Gareth and I are going to have a conversation for 10 or 15 minutes about the practical application of that as we move forward. It's going to be very difficult to come back, isn't it? Because it's very, very easy to get up on Sunday morning and still in your pajamas and with a mug of coffee beside you sit and listen to the service from the Crescent. Oh, it's great. You don't have to travel into Belfast on a Sunday night or a Thursday night or whatever night the events are on. And who would have thought that that is how we would have actually been reaching out and, and contacting people? And so therefore there is a, a real move of, of stepping away from what we were familiar with for the last year to returning. So we need to start off by defining our terms and as a history teacher, and I always insisted on this with my students, my A-level students, define your term, understand what you're gonna say. So when we say the church, what do we mean? And it seems like a very, very basic thing, but it's not. It's convoluted and confused. If somebody down the road asks you what church you go to, you'll say, well, I go to the Crescent Church up there, up the road. It's that big one with the high tower between Shaftesbury Square and Belfast, and you describe this building. But the reality is that this building is a church building. 
It's not the church. And Gareth just read to us there an account that Paul was talking to about the revelation of the church. And he was talking in Ephesians chapter 3 and glorifying God that Gentiles and Jews had come together and formed this group, this mysterious union called the church. And he's thanking God for it. But he's also addressing a local church, a local church of believers. And in that very text that he's using, he's also talking about a church universal. So you can see how confusing it could become very, very quickly. So when we talk about the church universal, every person who comes to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that person is a member of the church, God's church, the body, the universal church. But the manifestation of that church in a given locality is the local church. That's why Paul says, whenever he's starting Ephesians, he says, to the saints in Ephesus. Or when he starts in Galatians, he talks about the churches in Galatia, and he talks about the local churches. And so therefore, to remove that confusion, I'd like to talk to you about a definition of a local church. It'll come up here on the screen now. And this definition of the local church is written by a, a theologian. And I just want to go through it very, very quickly. And it says this, the local church is a gathering of those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, who are committed to meet regularly for worship, teaching, fellowship, and prayer, and who serve him as they make disciples of all people. Now let's take that bit by bit. The local church. We've already talked about that. But in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10 and 25, there is a very, very pertinent statement. And the statement that is made is, it says, Forsake not the gathering together. Don't not gather together. And that is the basis upon which we as a group come together. It's saying that we need to come together as a local church. You see, whenever you look at the New Testament, there's at least 30 local churches mentioned. And they come from six distinct regions. And if you take the Gospels and Acts as a unit... The rest of the books of the Bible, virtually all of them, are addressing local churches and teaching them as how they should live. So the local church is a gathering of those who have their faith or believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. A membership of a local church is not simply coming and saying, I want to join you, can I join you? The key to becoming a member of God's church, the universal church, and likewise the local church, is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's not simply a matter of getting your name on a church roll or paying your dues or attending services. It's a personal faith. And if you want to hear more about that, I'd recommend you go on to the website, listen to some of the messages that are there right at the front, or even attend the Christianity Explored course, which is running on Wednesday nights. Faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And Lord... You see, the person, the one who is in head of the church, and it was in the passage, which Gareth read to us, the one who is head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. It says he is the head of the body, and he instructs us not by our whims, not by our desires, not by our emotions, not what we think would be fancy and happy to do. We are instructed within the Word of God as to how to conduct ourselves in church. And there are patterns there for what we are to do. 
Acts 2 and 42, the first reference, if you like, of a gathering, lays out there four principles that we're to teach, that we're to pray, we're to have fellowship, and we're to engage in the breaking of bread. It says it quite clearly. And it goes on and develops that. And our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us through his word and through his spirit as to how we move forward as a church. It's not just something we do on a whim. And who are committed to meet regularly for worship. Whenever you look at the New Testament, it talks time and time and time again about worship. But the Lord Jesus Christ told us to do this in remembrance of me. And we meet weekly on a Sunday morning, remotely at the moment. We come together to worship and to remember him for what he has done. But Paul talks in Colossians about raising our voices in song and in him. We read throughout the New Testament time and time and time again of worshiping. And that worshiping is not an individual thing. It can, of course, be individual. But it's a corporate thing. It's a group of believers coming together which make up the church. Teaching. Teaching is fundamental. The teaching of the church and instructing each other. And that's why whenever Gareth was reading to us from Ephesians, we have there the list of the gifts that were given to the local church. Apostles, prophets, teachers, shepherds, or pastoral care. And they're all there. The Lord Jesus Christ, God in his wisdom, God through his mercy has given us these gifts. And it's the local church which is essential for these gifts to be manifested. If we didn't have the local church, how could we manifest these gifts? And teaching is one of them. And it is a core teaching. We teach from this church every Sunday and during the week. Fellowship. Fellowship. It's whenever you read Acts 2 and 42, it strikes me that they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted. It's a really powerful word. It wasn't just, I oh, will have a little bit of fellowship. Let's go and have a coffee. It's more than that. It's that coming together. It's that helping of each other. It's that coming together in a unit and working together like fellows in a ship, as somebody has once said. It's pulling together. It's caring for each other. It's engaging with one another. And I don't know about you, but the one thing I have missed for the last year and three months has been fellowship. To be able to sit down with a Christian friend, a fellow believer, and have that joy of discussing the Lord or of dealing with a personal issue or just enjoying our time together and prayer. It's not a surprise that the early church engaged in prayer. They were following the example they saw of the Lord Jesus Christ who prayed. They were following the example they saw from the apostles who prayed. Prayer was the backbone, the fundamental core of that local church. They prayed together. They prayed in worship. They prayed for each other. Paul talks about praying for each of other people. Asking people to pray for him. Asking people to pray for his work. It's very clear. And even what Paul, or Gareth read to us from Paul, was a prayer. He prays. And we as a local church come together to pray. And we serve him as we help make disciples. We serve him. It is not a case of coming to see what we can get. 
That is the biggest fundamental error of the 21st century Christian, that they think that they come to church to see what they can get. And if they can't get what they want, well, they go somewhere else where they think they can get it. The church was never designed for you to get what you get. The church was designed for you to give what you give. The church was designed for you to serve as you serve. The church was designed to worship, to learn, to develop, and as we read there in Ephesians, to build each other up, to bring a structure, to bring a purpose, to bring a body together in unity. And so when we say coming together in the church, it's not just coming two or three times a week or a month and dropping in and saying, that was a nice service and going home. The New Testament never saw that as being the life of the Christian in the church. Never sees that. It's a commitment. It's a serving ministry. It's learning. It's developing. It's fellowship. It's prayer. It's worship. It's all of those combined. And without it? Without it? I want you to just stop for a moment and think of what the Christian life would be like without the local church. Where would you be without the local church? And so we're not here on a pick and choose mission. We're here to serve, to worship, to learn, to support, to engage, to help one another. No Christian is an island. No Christian takes his journey on a solo effort. We stand and we support one another. I'm going to hand back to Gareth and then we'll move on to a little short discussion. to the internet and please do this at home this will be a little bit of a window into who's still awake uh, at the house and there's just one question we're going to ask it's what essentially did you miss most or have you or are you currently missing about not being together in church when we couldn't meet together what did you miss most you can go to the website menti.com and type in the code above which is 30346500 or you can get your phone's camera and pointed at the block of squares, and that should take you to a little link. Then you'll be presented with a list of things at the bottom. You can scroll up and select either all seven of them in order, or maybe two or three of the things that you miss most, and click Submit. I hope that's reasonably clear. I'm going to ask uh, Alex now just to flick on to the actual poll, and the, uh, instructions, yep, the instructions are also at the top, 30346500 and we give it a little bit of time for people just to, to respond, and hopefully somebody does. So David, I was really interested to say that you actually missed most the fellowship. I thought it would be, as I've put there, some handshakes and hugs, which obviously seems to be quite a popular option. The one thing that I couldn't stand was this, whenever you went to a function and people you never met come up to you, you know, you know this artificial mwah, mwah, 
Forget that. I know David Crooks loved it, but I don't. <laughs> yes, David almost floored me with another reverse elbow pump tonight. So, yeah, catching up with people, singing and regular church activities from so far 11 of respondents. And I think that was something that we discussed before, David, that actually it, it's, it's some of those things that you really cannot do elsewhere. You can listen to ministry online. Um, we can after a short break bread, but actually catching up with people face to face is so very difficult. So yeah, we'll, we, we, can, we can let that go and we'll maybe revisit it at the end then if people are, are still putting some things in. But we've certainly got singing, catching with people and, and regular church activities. So David, just going back to the start of all this, and thank you very much, Alex, uh, for that. Um, in March last year, the Crescent Church essentially closed down. No, what no, was that no, all about? no, 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 no. Crescent Church never closed down. Now, Gareth, you, I... I've been waiting for the moment to disagree with you in public. And <laughs> Don't worry about this. This is normal for Gareth and me. The Crescent Church never closed down. The doors to this building closed down. And I think we need to make that distinction. As a matter of fact, as we discussed, Gareth, and by the way, this is a setup. He knew he was going to do this. That we, mm -hmm. as a church, have continued. Yeah. So whenever the church doors closed, what was the priority for the elders in continuing our church fellowship? What were the things that guided you? Well, we're at that initial stage, as you can imagine, that, that during the month of March, end of February, coming into the month of March, we were meeting almost two, three, four times a week. We were getting statements ready, and before the ink was dry and the statement was out of date. And so therefore, we, at the time of lockdown or shutdown or whatever way you want to close, we decided there were two important strands and that was to retain as much as we possibly could the rhythm of church life using technology, and secondly, pastoral care. And those were the two strands that we put a lot of our emphasis into. And not only us as elders, can I say, the church came in and supported that 100%. Uh, this is not an elders-only activity. There are people who have given enormous amounts of time to pastoral care, going out and visiting people, and going out and meeting people, and there's an enormous amount of work has gone in at that desk at the back and in other places to get us up and late. But those were the two main strands. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because obviously the ministry is a very visible thing you can log in. But actually, I think the vast majority of people, if not everybody here, in some way benefited from teams of people contacting them, dropping presents off at the door, doing really practical things. I got a number of uh, really lovely books and cards to the post. Some gifts I don't know who gave them to me, so thank you, whoever you are, publicly, because I'm sure you're wondering, he's very ignorant and not thanking me, but it's like, I didn't know, and um, that was going on alongside all of this for the past year. It's interesting, Gareth, that there was a big survey, and it's an interesting survey to look at, published in June 2020 by the Church of England, which covered not only the Church of England, but other churches, and right across the panorama of churches, and it says that 86% of people benefited from pastoral care from either their minister or from members of their church. And I'd hoped that that would have been reflected here in Crescent. Yeah, and I mean, we've, we've had to adapt to lots of different technologies. You mentioned them as well. Have there been any positive things? Are there things that we have learnt from using all of these new technologies as a congregation? Well, some people have learned how to use them. I suppose that's positive. Uh, it was a fast learning curve for an awful lot of people uh, to 
find out that what Zoom was and whatever it was to get up and running. And the reality is that we have, without the technology, over the last 15 months, what would we have done? It's interesting that when you go back to 1918 and the last major pandemic, uh, whenever churches did close, if you look at the headlines in the period, you can see that the church leaders at that time produced leaflets and posted them out weekly for people to carry out a reading, a Bible reading, and even sing a hymn to themselves. Now, we've moved on from there. But the technology that we have been able to use means that even as we're speaking now, this has been broadcast into homes. And within the next week, it's going to be broadcast across the world. We've had um, discussions and groups and meetings that have taken place in the hitting hit of over 50,000. We've had an opportunity to reach out with a message which has not been heard. And it's a completely new way of approaching it. I wonder how many committee meetings it would have taken for us to decide to go online. I dread to think. But today, every church across the Western world, I would say, is using technology. As a matter of fact, 98% of the churches that I just mentioned to you and that have used technology. And over 60%, nearly 60% of people found it really beneficial. And I think it's been interesting how God's providence has allowed the technology and having fast enough-ish internet to work has really combined with this. And we think of the, you know, uh, in the early church as well, all of the various factors, the human and political factors that allowed the gospel to spread. And I was really encouraged. I had many colleagues at work that I was able to give an invitation to for a Christmas Eve service mm -hmm. and who attended online, enjoyed it. Some people had never been to a Christian church service before. Other people were reconnecting. And it provides a talking point, but also it's one of the things where people aren't threatened by actually coming into a physical building. Mm -hmm. And I think the Lord can only bless mm -hmm. the intentions of, of, of that well. It's interesting when we're talking about technology, Gareth, that 60% um, of the people on the survey, I refer back to the survey because it actually is a very, very good window as to what was happening. 60% of the people can't wait to get back to meet. Just over 30% of the people said they would go for a blended approach i.e. sometimes, but only 2% of people said they would only use technology. Only 2%. And obviously those 2% could be ill, could be elderly, unable to get out. So it has made a massive impact already. Yeah, and I think that's something that is really important to talk about is people that, that physically maybe can't come back out for all sorts of reasons. Um, I was reading actually this week um, in Numbers 9 where some men who were ceremonially unclean, according to the Jewish law, they couldn't celebrate the Passover, and that was a command of God's. And uh, they went to Moses and said, well, how do we worship the Lord? And there is provision made for them. And I think that through all of this, while people maybe can't get out physically, if the willingness is there, the Lord blesses that, absolutely. absolutely. And it's been fantastic to see, I mean, we, we have in our home group, uh, you know, a 94-year-old woman on the iPad, um, and after the usual, you know, swipe left or swipe right or, you know, or you're on mute. And you're on mute. <laughs> you know, that's fine. And, and she is able to participate in the worship and life of the church. And it was fantastic also to see her out last week. But that's not true of everybody. Mm -hmm. And certainly in my work as a doctor, David, as you know, um, I have been amazed at the number of people that I have done a virtual review for who are very happy that they didn't need to come to an outpatient appointment. And I think there was a lot of fear out there people are not sure it's the vaccine will it actually work okay it seems to be helping but will it work for me what about me and my circumstances and it's really important 
we were saying, David, that while we need to get back to fellowship, but there's a phased approach, isn't well, there? Absolutely, Gareth. I, mean, I can't emphasize this enough. Well, this is not a three-line whip, get yourself back into this building. That, that's outrageous to even consider that because every individual is coming from a different perspective. There's some people have been mixing in the community right throughout the whole of the pandemic with their work, and they don't have that barrier. There's other people who have received shielding letters and weren't out of the door. Other people have got medical conditions, and other people are just terrified. And so therefore, we have got to make allowances and allow people to come back at their own pace. I can assure you that we do everything we possibly can within this building. This building is fogged and cleaned between services. You can see what it is. But one little observation I would make, if I don't mind. Talking to people who are thinking about coming out, they're watching what's happening and listening to what's happening. And so therefore, just bear in mind that your failure to follow strictly the guidelines may impact upon their decision to come out. Consider one another. That's what I think about when I wear a mask. Consider the other people. And so therefore, simple things like vacating the building quickly, not blocking the aisle, not standing up close to people. You know, those are the sort of things that people are conscious about and, and are saying to me, is it safe? So I think the key thing, Gareth, and you're absolutely right from your medical opinion, People are waiting to see what happens. Lockdown's over. Has my vaccine worked? They're starting to go out to the shop. They're starting to come to church. But there's another group. There's a group who are out every day of the week, and they're moving around socially, and they're interacting. And on Sunday morning, they get up, and they have, oh, I don't have to go to church this morning. I'll join my, my pajamas. Those are the people who need to sit down and do a little bit of serious considering what is your role within the church? What is the purpose of the church? What is church? And I think that's the people who really need to sit up at the moment and think about where they are. Yeah, there have been countless times in my experience when I didn't feel particularly religious one Sunday, didn't really want to go to home group, and actually I always am glad that I did make that effort. And um, The conversations I've had with people in the cafe that I haven't spoken to for a while, whenever you're intentional about doing that, you're actually considering others, um, people that I know I need to speak to. Um, I've been encouraged and hopefully they've been encouraged. And I think as you're saying, that is what fellowship is. It's not having a coffee with your mates that you're mm -hmm. going to have anyway throughout the week. It is reaching out and expressing something of the love for each other um, and enjoying the, the great diversity we have in, in our, in our mm -hmm. church congregation absolutely, here as well. Absolutely. So thinking then now that we actually are able in limited fashion to meet in the church building, how are we going to get some of these things that you were talking about, um, you know, expressing your gifts, serving one another, you know, how is that going to look in Crescent Church week by week and month by month? I'm almost tempted to get Will Johnson up here because he put a nice big slide up on that screen at the, the an recent annual general meeting. And I think the key thing is that we as elders are very aware of is that we are not going to be able to move back instantly to what we perceived as the normality. As Will outlined at the annual general meeting, it's going to be a very much a phased thing. But there are roles. We need people. Take, for example, a very simple thing. We need stewards. At this moment in time, we've got a group of stewards, but instead of them being on once every six weeks, they're on every two or three weeks. Are you able to help out a practical matter? Are there other practical things which will come up? And as things begin to roll out, not thinking about what can I get 
but what can I give? It's not you're giving to us as a leadership team. You're not giving even to the church. You're giving to the Lord of your time, your money, your ability, your gift. And there's a range of gifts. We only think that preaching is a gift. It's not. It's only one of them. There's a range of gifts. One of the gifts is hospitality. And one of the things that we can now do is meet in small groups, in gardens. And so therefore, there's a real opportunity for you to phone up and say to two or three Christian friends, look, it's day I said it's a warm day, but it's a warm day. Come on round, we'll have a cup of coffee together and have fellowship and hospitality together, all within the guidelines, working within the guidelines that are there. And as things progress, hopefully, We'll be able to engage people more and more and more, fulfilling and giving an opportunity. Without your gift, the church doesn't work. That's why you've got a gift. And you know what it is. If not, we'll soon help you find it. You can start by helping out in some aspect. Now, I think that's very good. And Christians have always been at the forefront of obeying the authorities, not giving needless offence, but being creative and ingenious about actually expressing mm -hmm. their faith. And I think we can continue that. And I think that's a really practical example. Um, I'm aware of the fact that we've had eight, at least, new members join, and I don't know some of them, but I am aware that we have been praying for some of them, um, and indeed for some very specific and very difficult needs. And I think, you know, prayer is one thing that you'd mentioned. Um, and I know people had started a, a daily prayer, and I believe that's still ongoing. Um, and I think that's something we really must make sure we don't lose. Mm -hmm. I am not good at regular prayer. I'm not good at persistent prayer. And I rely on other people mm -hmm. because that's the real powerhouse of the mm -hmm. church, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I'll never forget Gareth. I won't name the person, but I went to see this man, and he was passing away. And it was literally two or three days, it was my last conversation I had with him. And he was muttering something to me. And I couldn't make it out, he was so weak. And so I leaned right over and put my ear to his mouth. And he said these words, and I'll never forget it, I'm praying for you. And the power of that statement to a man who literally was two days, three days from moving into eternity. And we have prayer warriors sitting at home right now. They, not, they can't come here but they're praying for us. And they've told us time and time and time again, corporately, individually, pray. Because prayer is what's essential. It's the backbone to get us through this crisis and out the other side and to witness to that road out there. Well, David, before we um, sing our final hymn, Speak O Lord, would you pray for us? Okay. And for our church congregation. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you that we can begin to meet together with the various restrictions which are in place. But we thank you, our Father, for your provision of the church. That provision which you, in a past eternity, that you determined would occur. Now, Father, we thank you that Jew and Gentile, that people from all backgrounds, races, and creeds can come together within a universal church with Christ as our head. But we thank you, our Father, for the fact that we can meet locally and accept the lordship of the Lord Jesus Christ and his word in directing and leading and guiding. But our Father, we just pray as we move into this next phase for your guidance, your protecting hand, 
you're leading us as we move back forward into establishing a pattern of life which again involves our attendance in this building. Father, we thank you that as a church we never closed. We realize as a building we did. But our Father, we thank you for the witness and the message which has powerfully been broadcast, not only into our province, but across the world. We thank you, our Father, for those individuals who have committed themselves, dedicated their time, dedicated hours of time and their finance to support and to help fellow believers. Father, we thank you for them. We thank you for the medical profession who have cared for us, who have taken us through this difficult journey, many of them working to the point of utter exhaustion. But our Father, we thank you for them. And our Father, we just pray at this moment in time for our government, local and national. And as they unravel the intricacies of moving forward, that you give wisdom, lead and guide. We pause, our Father, for those nations which are struggling. Our mind is occupied with India and Brazil and other countries. We pray for those nations, our Father. We pray for those people caring. We pray for those people who are in the midst of that crisis. But our Father, we thank you that you have blessed us as a church even through this crisis and that you have promised to keep blessing us. And as the Lord Jesus Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And our Father, we are aware that it is he who is in control, that he who is in charge, and we want to follow and obey. We thank you for those who have joined us this evening, here and remotely, and ask our Father for your blessing upon each and every head that is bowed. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.